0: Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. Twenty percent of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly well With All.
1: Under the radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered.
2: affect a community or neighborhood. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, how will Puerto Rico overcome the damages of Hurricane Maria, an elite team of rescuers in Mexico, and celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month as DACA hangs in the balance? We discuss the latest Latinx news locally, nationally, and worldwide. Later in the show, traditionalists say you can't wear white after Labor Day, but you can definitely drink white, wine that is. Our food and wine gurus say goodbye to summer libations and warm weather food and give us the scoop on the culinary trends for fall. But first, joining me in the studio, Julio Ricardo Varela, Co host of the In the Thick podcast, Latino USA contributor, and founder of Latino Rebels. Welcome back, Julio.
1: Hey, Callie.
2: And Marcella Garcia, bilingual journalist and editorial writer, columnist, and editorial board member for the Boston Globe. Hello again, Marcella. Hi, Callie. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to have you. Even though we have some really sad news to discuss, uh, looking at the aftermath of Hurricane Maria and its impact on Puerto Rico, I just want to set the table and remind people, because I think we've had so much hurricane news it seems a little bit overwhelming that Puerto Rico was one of the places that the people trying to escape Irma Jamales, yeah. <laughs> came you know as yeah. a safe space So you have a double whammy there because you you know they took in all of these people and now they were hit in just the most horrific way, in fact, in decades and decades. So I want to first play, this is what the Puerto Rico governor, Ricardo Rossello, talked to the people before the hurricane hit. And the reason I'm playing it now is because he framed this in the context that we know is going to be most harmful to Puerto Rico. It's a real economic blow. So I want people to just listen to the terminology that he's using as he describes what he is fearful of as the hurricane comes toward them.
1: Before this hurricane season started, our island had been battered by a storm of fiscal and demographic challenges. However, with the passage of Hurricane Irma, the people of Puerto Rico not only demonstrated our resilience, but we banded together to show our kindness and hospitality to thousands of our fellow Americans in the U.S. Virgin Islands, the BVI, St. Martin, and beyond without thinking twice.
2: That was a Puerto Rico governor, Ricardo Rosselló. Let's talk about that context, that economic context, because we've talked about it a bit here. Yeah, Puerto Rico is in bad shape.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm talking to you guys with a very heavy heart this weekend because luckily all my family's safe. But the stories I have gotten from people and texts and calls, they've shaken me, not only as a journalist, but as a human being. Um, It's really bad down there. It's the worst storm to ever hit. And they say in centuries it's probably as bad as anything they've ever experienced. The stories that are coming and they continue to pour in, you know, we're talking down power lines. We're talking flooding that's of epic proportions. There's no power. There might not be any power for six months. There's talk about people actually literally leaving and just going to people in Florida. Like, this is going to be a massive humanitarian crisis. And to top it off with a $72 billion debt when you have a fiscal control board that's deciding about austerity, I really think that humanity needs to come out of this situation. And when we talk about bondholders and owing debt and things like that, that eventually, like, the humanitarian crisis is going to win. And austerity measures that basically, to be honest with you, affected preparedness. Like, the towns weren't ready because there's no money. So, like... These stories, I mean, the eight people that drowned, Mm. people didn't evacuate. It really just deeply impacted me. I'm hoping that the fiscal control board, I'm hoping the United States government kind of looks at this a little bit differently than like, hey, you got a debt problem. Times are tough in Puerto Rico. Sorry, because the reality is you're probably going to see an even more massive like move of people in Puerto Rico now to the United States because once those planes are up and running, like, people are going to leave. Right. So this is a deeper issue than people are talking about. And and I'll just end with this, Marcela. and I know we – but the Boston-Puerto Rican community in the last couple of days has been uplifting. There's events happening, and it's just been – I'm very emotional about it, as you can tell.
0: I think we forget that Massachusetts and Boston in particular is home to a large population of Puerto Ricans. And what Julio is saying is absolutely 100% true. Like, I don't think we have realized yet the extent of the damage, number one, and number two, the death of the crisis. I mean, this is an island that was already knee-deep in a profound crisis, economic crisis. Like Hulu says, there was no money to be prepared. Even if people wanted to evacuate, probably they didn't know where to go. But the reality is, and we know that financially, it was already very hard. The economy was in shambles. Then you had a financial control board enacting austerity measures. So you're absolutely right. We're going to see an exodus, an even larger exodus of people. There had already been a lot of people leaving because of the economic crisis, and now it's going to be even greater. To top it all, we haven't seen coverage of it. Mm. You know, if this was happening in the mainland, if this was happening oh. in the continental U.S., there would be like like there was with Hurricane Harvey in Houston, right? And it's hard and horrible to compare disasters and and victims, but. The U.S. still treats Puerto Rico as a third world country, Mm. you know. And so that is going to impact a lot of the response. And the media has a role to play here to bring all the stories to the forefront.
1: Right. And I will Mm. remind people, Mm. and I say this all the time, Puerto Rico has a greater population than 21 U.S. states. Mm. So think about it. Think about the fact that Vermont had this massive disaster or New Hampshire, New Mm -hmm. Hampshire, and then power was out for seven months. 24-7 That's 24-7
0: coverage. 24-7. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I get, you know, and I say this all the time, but I, it's not just hurricane tragedy porn. This is a deeper issue. Don't come to me, like, in a year from now when people go, oh, my God, all these Puerto Ricans are moving to Florida. Yeah. Well, just There's like a happened with the why. crisis. Exactly. Yeah. People,
0: all of a sudden, they were covering it, framing stories. Oh, people are leaving the island. Well, why do you think they're leaving the island? Because for years yeah, you have this, you know, massive. De- anyway, it, so it's
1: it's really hard for me.
2: I wanted to read a letter that Congressman Luis Gutierrez sent to President Trump, just to emphasize the points that you made. Now he's trying to get out ahead and ask for the kind of uh, major disaster support that he he knew was going to be needed. So this is part of the letter. The fiscal control board imposed on Puerto Rico by the U.S. Congress has already slashed the public budget, imposed extreme austerity measures, and is powerless to invest, invest in the economy, create jobs, and promote growth. This means that Puerto Rico is broke and absolutely unable to financially contribute to its own recovery. So that's from the congressman. Now, I've heard the Puerto Rico governor speaking appreciatively of President Trump and of FEMA and... It's interesting because he's got to, you know, get those resources to
1: his his Trump island. Trump tweeted out saying he's yeah. he's here to help, the United States is here to help. Well, that's like, what he uh, said. Yeah, he, and
2: this is very important obviously. And I thought about him and I thought, wow, he he seemed like he was just one inch away from begging, but uh, you got to if it's this dire, t- yeah. you yeah. know. Totally. I mean, that tells you, know? you the that tells you how desperate it is yeah. and and if there <laughs>
0: You know what? It's just probably not going to be enough, unfortunately, because you this is a real, real crisis. And, and and again, I don't think people have realized the extent of how bad it is. And and perhaps we haven't even seen it yet, because as of Friday, it was still raining and the floods and, and all of this people losing their homes. I mean, the power people cannot, you know, 100 no, percent power out, except,
1: you the know, now they're I got generators got and stuff. like mm. I have friends and felt like one of my friends i didn't even recognize his voice that's how exasperated he was and he was telling me his stories of how he had to drive to his parents and he said it felt like a war like he was it was like my entire island is dead i mean i'm i'm on near tears and i'm not even there and that's where i was born and you wonder like where that spirit's gonna go now so, like someone like the governor of Puerto Rico, who's yeah, who's trying to do his very damn best, like that government is trying to do their very damn best. And I've been critical of that government. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is that this is also on the federal government for creating this promesa bill, which right. was a bipartisan bill that led to this austerity. Now, in a way, the chickens are gonna come home to roost, and it's gonna be very interesting what the United States does. Will that aid package come? And the optics, I'm just saying, if you're a Wall Street investor with bonds, the optics of saying you still need to pay mm-hmm. after like, I got no power, dude.
2: Well, like, it's, a, it's akin to the asking the people in uh, uh, who are victims of Harvey, you need to pay your rent and your right. mortgage and exactly. they exactly. have no house. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. So that's being addressed. Let me ask this le- final question. Will this move the understanding that Puerto Rico is a commonwealth of the United States <laughs> and is and the people are American? Will that... I heard somebody on the air for the first time saying, "Hey, remember, folks, these are Americans." You want the Seneca answer? Yeah, I I, I'm
1: waiting for this one.
0: Yeah. No, of course not. I mean, again, you have a territory that's been suffering for years. You know, the economy in shambles, all this massive debt, and and we're still giving more coverage to Greece, for example, when it went through similar similar plight. Of course not. It's not going to, I mean, again, you, you can be cynical about it or you can be hopeful about it. You can always see the silver lining. You know, are there going to be more people being more aware? I, I, I honestly doubt it's it. Started. And I, I hate to sound yeah. so cynical, but if if years of, you know, of economic distress, yeah. you know, that ended up in an island completely, you know, crumbled. Mm -hmm. Even before the hurricane hit, I doubt that this is going to...
1: I think it only starts with the Puerto Rican. It starts with the Puerto Rican community to constantly remind people. And I'm just as cynical. But I will say one thing. Like, you know, having been the guy that always says Mm -hmm. it, you know, I'm the one that raises the hand in the room for years. I have noticed more of a understanding. Mm -mm. And maybe the tragedy is leading to that understanding. Mm -hmm. I'm but I'm also of the of the fact of like, okay, after the tragedy, after the pictures. Like, mm-hmm. are what is happens? is Puerto Rico gonna be on the front page of the of the Boston Globe like it was mm-hmm. on Friday. Friday, like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Is it gonna be? Like, are you gonna say like so to me, this is just a moment. I will also say, especially in Boston, I sit here and I'm like, Thank you for your show, Callie, because I'm trying to sit here talking about like where I was born and I'm sitting here looking at Boston media and I'm like There's no Puerto Rican voices talking about that connection. So I have to say that I'm plugging under the radar. But at the same time, it's like I think it's important. Like these conversations have to happen and especially such an active Puerto Rican community, not only in Boston, but outside in all of Massachusetts. It's it's important. This is important. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley.
2: I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Julio Ricardo Varela, you just heard him, of the In the Thick podcast, Latino USA and Latino Rebels, and Marcella Garcia of the Boston Globe. And we're talking about Latinx news you may have missed, or maybe just didn't get a whole gist about, because this (laughs) one you couldn't miss. All right, just a quick note about this interesting rescue team in Mexico um, they are known as topos, Spanish for moles, and they have been—they actually pioneered a kind of unique way of yeah. digging through rubble. Uh, Marcella, talk about. Uh,
0: well, I—I I remember. I mean, this is, goes back to mm-hmm. the 1985 mm-hmm. earthquake that killed 10,000 people in Mexico City, and topos really was an, an organic effort. I mean, it came from citizens in civilian—you know—need to help in the in, obviously in the wake of. This tragedy, but also in the void of government because they they basically did nothing. You know, ten thousand people died, nineteen eighty five. So Topos became internationally renowned. They went, you know, they've been all over the world, including nine eleven. Actually, mm. by now there are different Topos because the, it became kind of like a brand, you yeah. know. And so then they, you started to see all these top, all, all these other groups, but. The main one, Topos Mexico, is this a lead uh, because, of course, they've had so much experience that they. The thing about them is that Mexicans tend to be short and small, and so that was a thing that oh. that was a thing that actually aided, you know, aided in, in their recovery efforts because they could get into places where you know other people couldn't. So, you know, thirty-two years later, um, this last week. Another her another same earthquake day, same, day. same day on the, on the third. I mean, I remember that day mm-hmm. going to the Twitter page of mm-hmm. Topos, and you know how Twitter shows you all the balloons when you have a birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the balloons start because Topos was created 32 years wow. ago on the day of that earthquake. So I was following all of that, um, and I saw. Uh, you know, I was glad to see the Wall Street Journal cover them, um, mm. because really they've done incredible work over the years. And, you know, most most of it was unrecognized. Again, I remember as a child when 1985, when, when that earthquake hit, and Topos was all over the news yeah. afterward because yeah. they stepped in when the government couldn't do its job. Same thing happened um, here. And you got to remember, too, I mean, Mexico had another, a, a huge earthquake earlier right. this month. Yeah. So this was the second one, of course, Mexico City, much more vulnerable you know many many buildings basically collapse by Friday, they were still rescuing people, right. you know, alive out of you know out of, out of the rubble. So anyway, I I was glad to see this story covered, um, you know, with their stories and, and and stuff. And and it was funny they they did capture a little bit of the of the how weird they are, you know. They they're kind of crazy, you know, yeah. to go into all these places and and rescue people and they deal with death. And anyway, I I thought it was a great story. It's, uh, yeah, it's
2: wonderful. Yeah, I just noted it also because. In this country, particularly recently, if you have conversations about Mexico, it's never about anything elite or or, or, or cutting edge. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Yeah, so yeah, I thought, yeah. this is very interesting. Um, Innovate. They were yes, innovative. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. I mean,
0: it's funny because I was thinking a little bit more big picture type of thing. And and, and you, you look at how they were born, right? right? And it's because government didn't, you know. And so you have a country like Mexico where corruption, impunity, et cetera, And in those spaces is where a lot of innovation happens and a lot of you know, good things happen, but but it's because of the lack of a structure or institutions, state institutions that typically provide, you know, all these resources. And so that is in those spaces is when the best of a country like Mexico, you know, kind of shows up. Yeah.
2: And I will add that I don't think that um, they could have continued the recovery process if they weren't so elite and understood how to work in this yeah. very dangerous situations with this. Uh, unstable buildings right. and rubble. They, you know, somebody else, some other team might have had to stop earlier because they don't understand all that.
0: I uh, mean, they've been to thing. Israel.
2: I and know, of course, Israel no, is no, like it's, the... You it's you very know. interesting. So it's TAPOS, and they're still working in Mexico yeah. City trying it's to pull so My heart's broken for Mexico, too. Oh, like I, uh, 30, I, I just have to like...
1: I mean, it's overwhelming.
2: It feels. It's I think, overwhelming. I think for a lot of people, yeah. it feels overwhelming because you have Harvey, then Irma, and then Maria, and then the Mexico thing. Yeah. So you know, you're trying to figure out where do I stand in response. Uh, you know, to, what, you, you know, know what
0: it is too is that it really hits the U.S. very close. Right. Obviously, Puerto Rico and Mexico has huge ties. To, you know, yeah, people. that's and what I mean. And so it it hits very close to home for a lot of people here in the U.S. And and it's like you say, it's overwhelming. That's like I, and it hits so
1: close here too. Boston exactly. already like one of the things that is uplifting me in the last couple of days has been the reaction yeah. both by yep. the Latino community in Boston. It's like and seeing sort of the solidarity between Mexico and Puerto Rico being like two countries that matter in the yeah. United States yeah. and have a yeah. connection. Right. Yep. And I think that's what drives me. Like people, there's a genuine love that people genuinely want to help out. And I think us as journalists and because you know. Marcelo's Mexicana and Puerto Rican. Like we, we wanna kinda send people to the right way to help.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I cannot tell you how many people reached out to me after the earthquake asking, oh, you know, are is your family okay, et yeah. cetera. And and that was amazing. I would mm-hmm. have never expected yeah. such a show of concern and support and, and, and that was very uplifting, yeah. like like Julio says. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean here we are, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, and Mexico, and and really, if you think about it, I don't think no other Latin American country has you know much more significance in the U.S. I agree, obviously. So anyway, we, all
2: right. Well, let's, we just had to say
0: that, right? We no, got to jump no, that in. No, no, no. It I think We've got to on it's Fine. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, let's move over to DACA. Um, that's oh, the program. DACA. Okay. That, uh, <laughs> let's,
1: let's move over to DACA. Uh, <laughs> From tragedy but, to tragedy.
2: Yes. So. Nancy Pelosi, who is the uh, top Democrat in the in the uh, U.S. House, was interrupted by DACA protesters during a town hall meeting in San Francisco. And according to Time magazine covered this, the protesters call for reform that gives legal status to all immigrants in the country, not just young people. And they meant their parents. So let's take a little listen to uh, what happened at the moment. so a lot of people were upset saying listen pelosi's trying to get this daca bill through working with the president um, give her some support i note this quote from luis serrano who was one of the groups organizers the people that were in that room saying we're mad about this we believe in pushing people who say they're on our side not those who are not which is a pretty yeah stark but that statement interesting yeah. yeah
1: but if that's what you're here's the thing I've been covering the undocumented rights movement since 2010, and this is nothing new. That what they've done. They, when the Dream Act wasn't passed, and five Democrats voted against it, the undocumented rights community decided to be like, "We need to pressure President Obama. We need to focus on deportations." So guess what? People are like, "Oh, what are you doing? You're messing up the establishment." And that, we're the good that led guys, to, yeah, clear. we're the good guys. We're the Democrats, and that led to DACA. So for people to be surprised mm-hmm. that these dreamers are being ideologically consistent, they've been doing this for years. The big issue that they have right now is that they believe that the DACA deal that Trump wants to make with Pelosi and Schumer is putting too much of an emphasis on border security and actually pitting putting the DACA dreamers in sort of this like bubble of the good immigrant mm. and everybody else – is going to be, you know, border security enforcement. Jeff Sessions, MS13 gang member. Everyone else in that, it becomes like the bad immigrant. And though Pelosi says we we are we're
2: saying we want no wall, so just yeah, saying. but that
1: doesn't. But you want greater enforcement and more deportations. I'm just saying that. I, so just... for people to be shocked as progressives to be like, mm. oh, these kids are messing it up. These kids have been quote unquote messing it up for like seven years, and they are the only. I would attest that without their activism, we wouldn't be talking about DACA. We wouldn't be having this. Yeah, conversation. they did the same
0: the same sit-ins, you know, in the Obama's election. office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that's what led to DACA. I mean, it was gratifying actually to see that, to see Nancy Pelosi being so bothered by them and she and was shocked, being I shocked. Would shocked say. Yeah, she was shocked, shocked that yeah. they, because you have to push and you have to demand accountability from both sides, period. And and they have every reason to be worried too. Because what kind of deal are they making, and are they going to compromise? Yes, of course they're going to compromise. Yes. You know their parents, for example. We're going to leave them out. Yeah. So good for them. Seriously, <laughs> right. well, I was, it was so gratifying to see. And your people face. have
1: continued. There's a lot of people who are like because all of a sudden DACA is like mm-hmm. the new thing mm-hmm. because now in the Trump administration, like people just completely forget about the last years under the Obama administration, and it's like God forbid that you was bring the movement. God yeah. forbid you bring this up. And you kind of have to remind people. They're like, "Why? Why is this happening now?" It's like
2: Americans have short memories. Period. Yeah, true. I'm so, serious. Yeah, so yeah. you know, uh, we can't remember last week, frankly. <laughs> In uh, Rhode Island, however, some good news. Uh, Governor Gina Raimondo, along with some philanthropic organizations, have raised $170,000 to cover the renewal fee for all of the Rhode Island residents who are eligible to renew. For yeah, NACA.
0: I mean, granted, it's not a big amount of money. A, B, Rhode Island is a small state, but it's
2: state. $495. Per person. Per person. So, so, so it needs about 200, yeah. 200 people. Yeah. I mean I think it's
0: I think it's great. On a symbolic level it's a huge statement, obviously. Mm. And uh, it sends a, a clear message. So kudos to her. Again, like the scale it's is small, but you know, hopefully we'll see more There's of that. They're a small state. They're a small state.
2: Exactly. Um, anybody, any other states you know about doing something? There through? are a lot of private foundations yeah. and yeah. a lot of yeah. private the or that, advocacy yeah, groups a group raising of, a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, there's a group okay. out
1: of like San Francisco that I believe raised- Yeah, Forward, FWD, they've, they've, the, they've, the uh, Mark Zuckerberg group yeah, they, they do have like raised. A, And okay. there's like a million. Yeah, um,
0: they've, they've been raising a lot United too. We
1: Dream, they've done a couple of scholarships. Um, yes, yeah, They're scholarships. starting to do it.
0: Even here in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's also very small, you know, but, but still, like, there are a lot of those efforts. Again, not a state-level type of um, thing with Rhode Island, but many, many private groups and NGOs.
2: So. so that's a good thing. Now, I should also note, however, on the downturn, flyers left in the East Somerville Community School saying, ICE is coming for, for you. Be prepared. Prepare your family. So they said, according to the Globe, Marcella, 10 and 12 of the handwritten flyers were found on the sidewalk near the East Community School, East Somerville Community School.
0: Yeah, you know, not, the, not the surprising KKK's at been all. Dropping
2: some flyers too. I just want to point out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: you know, we've <laughs> we've seen an uptick in this in this type of incidents. Nobody mm-hmm. should be surprised. It, it's still sad and tragic all the same because you see all these groups have and, and the anti-immigrant sentiment. Of course, it's all these people have been empowered and you know even encouraged to to come out and. There's stories all over the place. I mean, that, that story on Friday that left me heartbroken about the couple in Texas with a child in Children's oh, Hospital. Oh, right. Or yes. The of, yes. But they got yeah, eyes on yeah. them. I mean, right. this is happening. Right. This they went into happening. the
1: hospital to take care of their child. Correct. And, and, and they suspected it was
0: them. a nurse that was called. Yeah. But
1: there is a sense of emboldenedness. Yeah. And there's a sense of, and, and you wonder where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's another one. You know, I'm kind of thankful it's just flyers in a lot of ways, but in certain places there are people, like, are reporting like, I don't know if you, the one out of Transylvania University, this young man tried to report his undocumented classmate and and she spoke out, and then the kid got expelled, Mm -hmm. and like you want to talk about, like, we posted it on, I know Latino Rebels posted it, and that was like, so many, like karma, like, people were like, yes so, I think the, you know this is like it's hateful. It's hurtful. I would, you know, people tell me to get over it sometimes. And I'm like, no, I don't care who did this, right? This is just not right. It's just mm-hmm. not right, especially at a school. It, so if know. they find In out Somerville. who did it, it's I like, know. if they find out who did it, it's like, I hope, I hope they get. You know, yeah. And I if hope people are happens. wondering why that's cool. Is because
2: there is a, a big uh, Latino population over there. So. In that, and that's But the
0: city, the yes. city of Summer, was one of the most diverse places in in the country. Right. I mean, in in the state. The state yeah. All
2: right. Well, speaking of uh, sizable Latino populations, there are some people pushing against the use of the term Latinx, which is what <laughs> we are using yeah. on this show to update and be. In the swim of things, um, so we have been informed. But I want to talk to you two. Why am I talking about it? You are the can bring more expertise to it about the struggle around this naming. I do want to quote from your contributor Julio Hugo Marin Gonzalez, okay, who's very good, and he says here, "I am Boriqua." I am queer, but not Latinx. To be Latinx, just like Latino, Latina, or Hispanic, is to make invisible the African and the Taino in me. It erases my ties with the actual people and lesser Antilles neighbors. So for him, he says, it centers this around my cultural identity around European colonizers. Um, Now, we're having this discussion because it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and a lot (laughs) of people don't like Hispanic, we should say. Weigh in, please. Both of you. Well, oh, my. I mean,
0: look, I
2: I about Latinx. The first time
0: I heard the term, I had no idea how to pronounce it, number one. I was like, is it Latin X? Is it Latin Is it Latinx? X? Latin
1: <laughs> Latinx.
0: Yes, I swear to Never God. I had that. I that's had it. all sorts and, oh, and then and then I heard it. and I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be Latinx. Okay, I got it. And it's funny because right now it's kind of made its way into the mainstream. Yes. So much so that last week someone in the uh, Globe Magazine uh, department, an editor there, came stopped by and asked me, what's our style say about Latinx? Can we use it? And so then I'm like, oh, boy. And then before I could launch into, you know, my whole thing about it, someone in my department editorial page was like, oh, no, yeah, um, the New York Times had a whole story about it the other day, and but, and we've used Latinx. And, and so I'm like, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It means it means a, a term that's supposed to unify obviously mm-hmm. is always going to mean many different things to a community that's not homogeneous. I mean, it's it, it's not. We don't come from the same place. We all have different stories. We all have many different conceptions about what what it means to be Latino, right? So a Chicano may not feel the same way about Latinx. So again, any time that you have. An attempt, or you know, yeah, an attempt to unify
2: something is gonna backfire. Well, a gen- <laughs> so let me just say that it's yeah. it's being driven a lot by young people. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean. Because the um, and I think it's X, organic. It yeah. is an organic. It, it is it's organic. very. It, but it's, the, let me just explain. Oh, yeah, yeah. The X is to get away from uh, gender Latina, identifying, correct. so right. that you can and you because
1: know, because in Spanish the the masculine takes also the general. Patrick, so like,
0: he, my Yeah, so that, right. but
1: there's a lot, I mean, that we can, we, we're not going to unpack this. Yeah, right. I know. In, in that's the closing minutes of, uh, of this segment, <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right, Kelly. If you go to um, college campuses, if you go to high schools, and, and I, I, You know the contributors that that submit to Latino USA and Latino Rebels, who both have O's in them. I I, I've acknowledged that. I Mm -hmm. mean, Latino, yeah, right. You know, but it's it does come from a younger perspective. I think it speaks to a couple of things for me. One, the messiness of identity of what it is to be Mm -hmm. of Latin American descent in the United States in the in the twenty first century in two thousand and seventeen the imposition of the government of the Hispanic label that happened in the seventies. So a lot of people shy away from that because they see it as an imposition of, of not their world and an understanding of where these, where people come from. Yes, we are a, you know, we are a colonized community. The Spanish empire came across and killed a lot of people and then decided, you know, they invaded a region and also the Portuguese and other places. so It's part of who we are. Um, I kind of sit back and kind of let people decide who they want Mm -hmm. to identify with. Because do you use it? Do I use Latinx? It comes out when it when in the con. It'll come out Mm. in the context. Um, I am very respectful as an editor. Mm. If if I have a writer who says I want to use Latinx, I don't go. Oh, you have to use Latino or Latina. Mm. But there's plenty of Latinas who use Latina. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and so it's the same thing. It's so. is it a is it a historic
2: throwback situation like NAACP? There's colored people in there. No black person is calling themselves colored. Well,
1: seems, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no, I'm just saying. No, well, yeah. because that has yeah. a different
2: connotation well, too. i why I'm asking. But isn't it's don't like, think, Latino, it's like you know. like, is it a throwback? It, 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 it's not it a is. throwback. It's, it's, it's more, like, no, like it's Hispanic. I meant to say it's Hispanic. Hispanic oh. is definitely no. more no. like Latinx. Spanish. Yeah. Yes. Like
1: it really means like Hispanic really comes across as like you're from. Yeah, you have Spanish blood. Yeah, in you. It, it, it's and so it's, there's it's very European. Like it, 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 has this look of like, you know, you're not indigenous. Yeah, you're it's like, associated
0: with the yeah. you know with Spain, the kingdom. You know when they came, like to it's kind of like remember who conquered you. Yeah, All right, yeah you know yeah, what I
1: mean. Yeah, yeah. Latino comes, you know, it, it kind of became, like, off of Hispanic, like during the you know like mm. Chicano and Boricua were like you know. They came in the 70s and then Latino just sort of came as like something that's not Hispanic. All right. So and was just... that
2: more organic and not imposed? I think it therefore? was I
1: think it was that sort of came off people saying I'm done with Hispanic. And it also was tied to Spanish. So you say like La Comunidad Latina in Spanish this Latin Latino Community mm-hmm. in Spanish. Like Latino America, you know, America Latina, which mm-hmm. is Latin America. So like it's used to describe a, a larger, more cultural. Connection, yeah. ethnic. Um, I think you know people say I'm Afro Latino. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, there's a lot there. It's unpacked, but I think this notion of the Latino still being like part of the colonizer, and that mm-hmm. I identify someone who identifies as Latinx is also it, it's more gender based. Mm-hmm. But you're still like what, what what the Latino Rebels contributor said. You're still kind of tossing to the colonizer a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's really complex. <laughs> right, and to say. But it comes to the fact, it's like, just identify however you want, um, and but re- right be respectful. Now, but, be respectful. Uh, but, well,
2: that's the question. Right now, is there any one of those terms that would be considered
1: insulting? Because I, I mean, not to like, me, I, anyway. I think some people, I, yeah. I think the Latinx label to people that are not, to to, to older people who are used, might, they think it's, some people think it's dumb. Like, we get... Um, yeah, we get comments from people on our websites where they're like, "Oh, PC police! You know, mm. what are you doing? Trying to, you know, trying to control language? Uh huh." So it's a- very much
2: generational. Yeah, I think it is. So I think th- it's so. To that extent, then let me let me compare then to the young kids who are gay taking back queer, yeah, and the older generation mm. not having that.
1: Yes, I <laughs> can know, do that. That's, that's much that's, more. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, good, way. Apt okay. that's a totally. good way of yeah. putting it. I I got you there. Okay, I got you. That, I feel that. <laughs> All right. Well, we we
2: just want to be correct and uh, and. Since we like to be cutting-edge, we're going with Latinx. No, that's, yeah, absolutely, fine. that's totally cool it's yeah. absolutely fine. Until somebody tells us differently. It's absolutely fine. I get it. Yeah, it's very totally right. cool. One word that should not have a different meaning, but somehow these two Google employees think it should, is <laughs> oh, bodega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we know what a bodega is, and now these two employees, Paul McDonald, ex-Google employees, rather, and Ashwath Rajan, um, have come up with a concept in which they... <laughs> appropriate bodega. I'd like to get your response to this. My
0: favorite part of this story is how they claim that they did research, quote-unquote <laughs> research, in the Latin American community. I know, like...
1: Dude, where? like,
0: what? Like I in mean, Uruguay? Yeah. Like, were you in
1: a bodega where that's where, like, a warehouse? I know. Like in,
0: I, in Mexico, too. In Mexico, too. Bodega is a warehouse. Like, yeah.
1: And the fact that they said that they talked to people in New York, like, that's the part where I'm like, Who? dude, like, who are you talking to, New York? Totally, because yes. what's fascinating about this story, guys, is like, it really wasn't the Latinos who were like, oh, this is crazy. I know. I know. It was like the New Yorkers who were like, dude, don't mess don't with my t- Bollinger. T- yeah. Like, who don't mess with Who were yeah. Latino. They weren't even Latino. They weren't even Puerto Rico or anything. They were like, what's this guy? It's a vending machine. <laughs> and it was like the level, like, they never saw it coming. Like, it was yeah, just clueless. like, so it's like it was like, yeah. it's like we had like Latinos had allies that day. It was like, it was like, I sat back and watched that day and I was like, oh, they got this one. Like, <laughs> yeah. Totally. Not Latinos got this one. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this one and sip some tea. Totally. It was crazy. You didn't
2: have to step up. Yeah. Cause everybody else did. Well, they finally said that apparently they talked to the wrong people. Oh, duh. You, 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 you think? You <laughs> <laughs> So I guess you won't be um, going to visit the vending machines under there. I bodegas. don't think they're going to be starting up anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt there'll be some, like, actual yeah. vending machines in New York. that I think people are... Yeah,
2: totally <laughs> yeah. killed it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a great way to end. Thank you all <laughs> for clarifying these cultural issues for me. thank you for joining me this week. Thank you, Callie. <laughs> Thanks, Callie. Julio cool. Ricardo Varela is the co-host of the In the Thick podcast, a contributor to Latino USA and the founder of Latino Rebel. And Marcella Garcia is a bilingual journalist and editorial writer, columnist, and editorial board member for the Boston Globe. Coming up, transitioning your palate from summer to autumn. Our food and wine experts are here to tell us how to add spice and, yes, pumpkin flavors to our plates and wine glasses this fall. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.